Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Oh, hey, uh, I'm excited to preach to you guys today. Uh, this subject that we're going to be discussing, I think, is such an important one, and we'll get into it in just a moment. Before that, uh, I do want to just thank all of those who are joining us online one more time. I know we gave it up for them earlier, but uh, I know that there's a lot, of, a lot of folks watching at the 6 p.m. today. So can we just welcome them? We love you guys. Thank you for joining us. We miss you. We'll see your faces soon. Uh, until then, let's get in, shall we? Um, we've been in a series for the last couple of weeks entitled, Rhythm is Gonna Get You, Restoring Life's Cadence. And uh, we've been talking about uh, either establishing for the first time or perhaps reestablishing, depending on where you're at in life, some spiritual principles, some spiritual rhythms that are really gonna help us on this journey of faith. Uh, whether or not you realize it, God has wired you for rhythm. We've all been wired to fall into some spiritual rhythms. Life is far easier, far more successful when we find ourselves in that God rhythm. And that's not just for the disciplined, type A, structured, organized personalities. How many of you are here today? Yeah, you like me? Okay, good. But it's also for the unstructured, free-spirited, irresponsible types in the room like my wife. Uh, it's even y'all, uh, like, uh, even, even you guys are wired for rhythm. And rhythm is, is something that truly will get us on the right track. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a bunch of spiritual rhythms that we need to have established in our lives. I don't have time to recap all of them today, but if you've missed any of them, you can go back to our website, tfh.church, jump on the podcast, jump on the YouTube channel, and uh, you can check out any of those sermons catch up. I think they will be helpful to you. By the way, my wife preached an amazing one last weekend about filling up and pouring out accompanied by her cat fountain on stage, a prop I would never use because you all know how I feel about cats. Uh, but today I'm going to make good on a promise that uh, I made in the first sermon during this series. And we're going to talk about a biblical word called Sabbath. Everybody say Sabbath with me. Sabbath. Doesn't it just sound like a restful word, right? We're talking about Sabbath. But because of my deep conviction for alliteration, we're not going to call it Sabbath. I want to title this chat, The Rhythm of Rest. The Rhythm of Rest. I think it's going to be good. Uh, this is going to be the first of a two-part sermon. Uh, as I dug into this content last week, I really felt like there was too much to present in a single week, and it's such a massive concept in Scripture. And so uh, to avoid kind of skimming over it and not giving it the time it was due, uh, we divided it up into two sermons. So today, I'm going to give you these two thoughts about uh, Sabbath, and then we'll hit the others next week. But today, I want to talk about establishing the importance of it, the conviction we should all have about Sabbath. And then I want to talk about how to overcome some barriers that we might face in our culture as we consider establishing that rhythm. Next week, we'll get a little more practical with it. Uh, we'll talk about what it looks like to have a Sabbath. What does Sabbath mean in our current context? And then three Sabbaths that all of us need to have established in our lives. But today we're going to hit the first ones. Now, uh, before I get into this, um, I am going to offer just kind of a, 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 a disclaimer. I want to preempt this, and I felt like it was important. I almost redacted it from the notes, but in light of you know who attends our church, I just wanted to make sure that I got this out there, okay? And bear with me as I, as I offer this. Um, it is important to me that we understand, as we get into this subject of rest, the need for the assumption that we all have a very good work ethic first. We all need to know how to work before we talk about Resting. I said in the first sermon in this series, rest is a reward for those who work, not a right for lazy people, all right? We should all be those who understand a good work ethic. We need to know how to work, 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 work. Like that's, that's, that's something we all need to have a deep conviction about. 
So whatever your work is, if it's a vocation, your job, or maybe you work around the home, or maybe you go to school right now and you're a full-time student, whatever work you do, let me just remind you, as a Christian, you are called to be the best in your environment. You are called to absolutely crush it among your peers. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever work that you do, do it as unto the Lord and not to humans. So you might work for somebody else, but listen, you work unto God. We understand that he is, in fact, our first priority. He's the one that we are living for, which means that it's not just important when you work, but it's important how you work. Let me, let me just kind of mess with somebody's business a little bit, all right? When you work, novel concept, you should actually be working, okay? You shouldn't be trolling for hours on social media. You shouldn't be online shopping. We don't take three-hour lunch breaks to hang out with our friends or to run our errands, which is a lot easier to do when you're working from home. No, when we work, we work. We work as if our boss was watching us 24-7 because guess what? As a Christian, your boss is watching you 24-7. His name is Jesus Christ, and he's got eyes on you all the time, and we are working unto him. And by honoring him, guess what? We honor those who employ us as well. So... It's important to me that we understand a good work ethic before we talk about rest. We gotta get work right before we talk about rest. Does that make sense? Capiche? We all good? So I just had to get that off my chest, you know? I know we have a, a lot of self-care obsessed millennials in this church, so I just need to make sure that we all, okay, I just already dug a hole for myself before I even started, all right? Let's all pray that Jesus opens our hearts after our pastor offended us, and then we'll get into this. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that you would speak to us today. Our hearts are open. We wanna receive what you'd like to speak to us. And Lord, in this subject, which is so important to you and so vast in scripture, I pray that you'd get it planted, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. You would convict us and convince us that this is for us and it's, it's for our benefit. We love you. Speak to us today and change us before we leave. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, so I know that it might seem odd to discuss the topic of rest in light of the current season we find ourselves in. It, it almost feels like, like the last seven, seven and a half months have been somewhat of rest for, for many of us, the, the forced Sabbath, if, if you will, in light of all that we've uh, endured. But um, I think we find ourselves at a cultural moment right now where we finally have the opportunity to get this area of our spirituality right. We've gotten it wrong for so long, and I think we have the, the, the chance to hit the restart button in the, in the spirit and to get this area right. Uh, let me explain what I mean. Um, as a culture, it is not a surprise that we idolize the idea of overworking. We, we love to work. We, we, we praise those who just grind it out day after day. We live a highly caffeinated, overworked, aggressive work life kind of, of an existence here. Uh, we've got phrases like, we burn the candle at both ends, or I'll sleep when I'm dead, or, you know, we, we praise those who have the hashtag no days off thing going on. Like, we know what it feels like to work. We idolize that kind of a lifestyle. And although that might have been a little more evident pre-COVID, I think it's starting to rear its head again. It's, it's still resident in our DNA, and we're seeing it as people are going back to work right now. As the, as the communities begin to open back up and workspaces begin to open back up, some of you, maybe you've been on a forced rest for seven and a half months, but you're finally getting back to work. And as you do, there's now a temptation to get back into some old, unhealthy rhythms to just work, work, work. Uh, if you're anything like me, we tend to overcorrect sometimes. It's like, well, you know, I've been off for the last seven and a half months, so I'm gonna work seven and a half months work this week, all right, I'm gonna go for it. Like, anyone else like that? Like, if I'm gonna do this thing, I'm gonna do it, all right? 
I, I remember when um, I first started going to the gym and working out, I had not worked out in 25 years. And I'm like, well, I gotta make up for 25 years of lost time. Let's go, I'm lifting all the weights in the gym today, right? I did like 500 bicep curls, cause I'm like, hey, the curls get the girls and I want my wife to like me. So I lifted like way too much. The next morning I woke up and I literally couldn't move my arms. I was stuck like this. I'm like, I'm like well, thank God I'm a preacher. I still got the ability to do my job, right? You know? <laughs> But, but like, I, we tend to overcorrect sometimes. We're, we, we, we know that something hasn't been good and so we, we just go to the complete other end of the spectrum. We, we let the pendulum swing all the way over. And maybe you're in that space right now. For others, maybe COVID has only exposed a problem that you already had before. You already had this predisposition to overwork and maybe you're a first responder, you're in the medical field and now there's all this extra overtime available because of the, the state of what's happening and so you're saying yes to all the overtime, you're working like crazy and you're just in over your head and you're like, ah, I don't know how to say no. Or you know, maybe you were the type that before COVID, you, you had a, a good separation between your personal life and your work life because you would actually get into a vehicle and you would go to your workplace but now that you're working from home, it's like this invasion on your personal space and you don't know how to turn one switch off and turn the other one on and now work is, is everywhere. You can always go to your computer, you can always go to your email, there's always people asking and it used to be an eight hour work day and now it feels like you just can't turn off even in your own home. And even if your employer isn't requesting that of you or saying that they expect it of you, it is definitely the culture that is praised in the workplace, the people that constantly work and never turn off. And for fear of being the next person on the chopping block or fear of being the next department that's downsized, all of a sudden you're like, I just gotta keep up with all of my peers and keep working and keep working and keep working because I don't wanna lose my job. Is this resonating with anybody right now? Yeah, this is the world that we live in right now. But let me, let me warn you, and you probably already know this because many have experienced it, there is a price to pay for that pace. There really is. There is a cost with that kind of a work life. It'll cost you your peace. It'll cost you your joy. It'll cost you your passion. For many, it's cost them their families. It's cost friendships. There's a price to pay if we're trying to run that kind of a race. But in his love for us, God has offered us a gift to redeem us from the rat race of that pace in our culture, and it's a very simple word, Sabbath. He has offered Sabbath to us as a rescue from this cultural climate where we just don't know how to stop. So let me give you a definition for this word because it is a Bible word. It's a word that we don't use very often in our culture. Sabbath means this in the Hebrew, to cease from your normal work, to desist and rest. To cease, desist, and rest. Whatever you normally do, whatever your normal pace is, to stop for a moment, breathe deep, and to rest. And there's a rhythm to Sabbath, a rhythm that we should all have established in our lives. And here's the Sabbath rhythm, work, then rest, repeat. Come on, say it with me. Work, rest, repeat. Work, rest, repeat. Come on, say it like you mean it. Work, rest, repeat. If you're under 30, you can slay, play, and then run it back, all right? Whatever works better for you. But work, that was for you, Chris. I got you, all right? <laughs> work, rest, repeat. That, that principle, that pattern, that rhythm is all throughout the Bible. Literally, Old Testament and New, it is replete in Scripture. Work, rest, repeat. 
Today, we're gonna look predominantly at the Old Testament and what it says about this subject, but rest assured, we'll talk about the New Testament a little bit more next week. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, this concept of Sabbath, this idea of work and then rest, it was literally introduced at the beginning of time. It was within the fabric of creation. God worked for six days, he created everything that we see, and then on the seventh day, he rested. Look what it says in Genesis 2. Uh, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested, he Sabbathed from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. Right there, right in the beginning of time, God establishes, he introduces this concept of Sabbath. But even though he introduced it at the beginning, he didn't actually instruct it, he, he, he didn't mandate it until later on in scripture. Fast forward to the book of Exodus, Here's the backstory. The Israelites, they've been slaves in Israel, or excuse me, in Egypt for 400 years. And as they are delivered from slavery, God says to him, hey, you know, I understand what it was like to be a slave for 400 years. You worked seven days, 365 days a year, rain or shine, there was no rest for you. That's the life of a slave. But as a free person, I am offering you a new rhythm. As a free person who is not under the oppression of this regime of Egypt any longer, I'm offering you a gift, and the gift is some rest. I'm giving you a Sabbath. By nature of your freedom, you are allowed to take a break. You don't have to run and run and run, but you can breathe deep and you can Sabbath. Listen, it's important that we understand this. It's important that we understand the origin of, of this Sabbath instruction to God's people because when we understand the origin, then we can actually wrap our heads around the importance of it, okay? Here's why this is such an important concept. Listen to me, if you're taking notes, write this down. Work without rest is not success, it's slavery. Let that sink in for a moment. Work without rest is not success like everyone else tells you it is, it's actually slavery. God came to his people and he said, you've been slaves for 400 years and here's what the lifestyle of a slave looks like. You cannot stop. But as a free person, I am now giving you permission to rest. It's part of your new identity as a freed man and as a freed woman that you are not being oppressed by your enemy any longer. You're not being oppressed by Egypt, oppressed by your employer, oppressed by whoever. You now have the freedom to rest. Listen, if you think it's success right now because you're working seven days a week and you just can't turn it off and that's what success looks like, you're not succeeding. You are enslaved, my friend. You are being oppressed. I don't know if it's by your employer or by a broken mindset of your culture, but whatever it is, you are not a free person. You are enslaved. And so God, in his love for his people and his love for us, he introduces this new concept, not a slavery ideology, but a freed person's ability to rest. Here's the thing though. He, he didn't just leave it at concept. He didn't say, hey, I'm gonna introduce you to this new concept and enjoy it as you want. He actually went as far as to command it for his people. It, it's literally right there among the big 10. It is one of the 10 commandments to take a Sabbath, which is an odd one, isn't it? Like, like think about the 10 commandments for a moment. They're, they're mostly like aggressive in nature, right? Like, I'm the Lord your God, you have no other gods for me. Don't make any idols. Don't, don't have adultery. Don't, don't lie. Don't, don't steal. And then kind of in there, oh, and by the way, make sure you rest. <laughs> it doesn't seem to fit the narrative of the other commandments. And yet God puts it there. In fact, not only does he put it there, do you know that it is the most exhaustive command among the 10? 
God says more about Sabbath than he does anything else in the Ten Commandments. Let me prove it to you. Look at what he says in Exodus chapter 20. These are the words of God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you don't do any work. You nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, your stranger who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he kept it holy. He bullet points almost all of the other commandments. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods but me. Shall not make for yourself any idol. And then puts all this content in here around Sabbath. It must have been a big deal to God. You only have so much real estate on stone tablets, right? Like there's only so much space to put stuff. And he dedicated that much space to Sabbath. Not only that, among the Ten Commandments, it is the only one that he goes as far as to say, hey, you gotta keep this one holy. He could have said that about any of the other nine, but this one, he says, you have gotta keep this one holy. You know what that word holy means? In Hebrew, it means set apart. It means consecrated unpolluted by whatever culture, whatever existence you find yourself in, this one gets set aside and it is not allowed to be touched. Keep the Sabbath holy. So if God went as far as to highlight it, make sure we kept it holy, give us an exhaustive explanation about it, it makes me ask the question, why? Why did he spend so much time on this command? I'm not God, so I don't know. Sorry to disappoint. But I have a hunch, and here's my hunch. I think it's because this is probably the one that we are most likely to break. I think this is the one that we have the hardest time with. God knew in our humanity that we were wired to work. We were wired to earn it. We were, we were wired to go back to slavery in this area and without realizing it, we put on those chains and we subject ourselves to the oppression of our enemy over and over and over again in this area. And so he does this elaborate job of reminding us how important it is to know how to rest. He's like, you guys gotta get this one right. Now, permit me for a moment to, uh, to go on a, a bit of a segue uh, a, a little rabbit trail if I could, because I know that what I'm suggesting right now, the idea of commanded rest, is, um, is maybe messing with some theology. It's, it's a theological conundrum for some, because I know how many people approach the Word of God, and, and especially the Old Testament. Uh, this mindset that we've been trained with is that, well, this is the law, it's the Old Testament, so it doesn't matter anymore. Jesus, when he gave his life on the cross for us, and when he resurrected, you know, he abolished the law, it's not a problem anymore, so we don't have to worry about this. We live in this new dis dispensation of grace, and so we live under this new covenant, that's an old covenant kind of thing. So I know that exists in the room. I know that there's probably people thinking that as they watch. So let me lean into that for just a moment in case, in case your head's there. What did Jesus actually say about the law? What did Jesus say specifically about the subject of Sabbath? Uh, we'll look at more New Testament next week, but for today, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, don't misunderstand why I had come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment and you teach other people to do the same, 
you're gonna be called least in the kingdom of God, of God, in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the reason I had that word commandment underlined over there on the screen and for those watching online is because that word is important. It gives us some framework for what Jesus is talking about right here. We're gonna go a little deep. I'm gonna take you all through a seminary class for the next couple of moments, okay? So, so buckle up. There are three layers of the law in the Old Testament. Theologians have agreed that the law can be broken up into three areas. Old Testament law is moral law. That is, in its simplest form, the Ten Commandments, morality, right and wrong. And then there is uh, civil law and there is ceremonial law. All of these being things that God told his people, the Israelites, to do as they entered into his presence, some rules, some regulations for honoring him and for worshiping him. So moral law, ceremonial law, and civil law. Well, Jesus did, in fact, eliminate, obliterate the ceremonial and the civil laws about how we're supposed to approach God with his death on the cross. Proof of that found when he breathes his last, the veil in the temple is torn in two, once and for all declaring that not just the holy people can go into the presence of God, but anyone, no matter how jacked up you are, no matter what your sin looked like, all of us have now been granted access by the blood of Jesus into the very presence of God. We don't have to worry about our track record. We can just come to him unashamed in the middle of what we're walking through. Come on, how many grateful today that you don't have to worry about following a bunch of rules and going back to Leviticus and dousing yourself in lamb's blood just to come into the presence of Jesus? No, we can come as we are. Ceremonial and civil law, it's done with. However, Jesus did not, once and for all, get rid of moral law. The moral law still exists. Right and wrong still exist. We don't suddenly get to ignore the Ten Commandments because Jesus came. And I think we know that, right? Like, no one's going, well, you know, I have Jesus, so I can kill some people now. Like, no, no one thinks that. <laughs> like, we still understand that that is wrong. So, if the other nine commandments still serve to tell us how we should live our lives, why do we think that we can ignore this one? If the other nine commandments are still the framework whereby we establish our convictions, what is it about the fourth commandment that we just suddenly think, ah, that one's probably not that important? Imagine if we treated Sabbath like we treat so many of the other commandments. Ah, you know, it's... It's important, it's, yeah, it's not make or break though. So I had a few affairs. So I killed a few people. So I worship a couple of gods and I've got an Asherah pole in my backyard. It's not that big a deal. No, no one would suggest that because it's asinine, it makes no sense. So perhaps we need to give a little bit more attention to the fourth commandment than we're giving it right now. Perhaps Sabbath is in fact a pretty big deal to God. And if it is, then it's going to require us overcoming some barriers that our culture has thrown in front of us that keep us from keeping the Sabbath holy. So in our last couple of moments, let me, let me give you a few barriers that I've noticed, some things that keep people from truly stepping into Sabbath. I'll give you two quickly and then we'll dive into the last one a little bit deeper, but here's a couple of barriers. Maybe some people think, well, you know, I just don't need it. I really don't need that kind of rest. You know, I, I like this pace, I'm young, I don't have any kids right now, I can sleep when I'm dead, like it'll be fine. I can run at this pace for a long time. I'm crushing, it's the beginning of my career, I gotta get through these classes at school, like this, this pace is okay for me. Well, I hate to break it to you, but you're not a superhuman, okay? You, you cannot handle it. If God needed a Sabbath, <laughs> and if Jesus, God incarnate, honored the Sabbath when he was here on this planet, 
you don't get to be better than them, okay? I'm sorry, that's just not how it works. Yes, you're still a weak human. I'm sorry to break it to you, and you probably need some rest. So that's an easy barrier to overcome. Here's another one, a more common one. A lot of people don't ever truly enter into a Sabbath because they don't schedule it. They don't prioritize it. They fill their life with a lot of other even good things. Many of us, you know, we, maybe you work five or six days a week, but isn't it amazing how quickly the other days that you don't work get filled up with obligations? You ever notice that? What is it about our incessant need to just say yes to everybody, you know? We say yes to, to, to those who, who want us to come help them on the weekend or help them on our day off. Like, we just are always saying yes. We do not know how to say no. But let's practice it together. Ready? Here you go. One, two, three. No. Oh, didn't that feel good? How about no, Scotty? Like, no. Like, you can say no. It's okay. And you know the easiest way to say no? Ready? I'm going to help you out. Uncle Tim's going to give you a little tip today, okay? Just put it in your schedule. Literally schedule a Sabbath. That way when somebody asks you to do something that you don't want to do and it doesn't bring you life, you can just say, I'm sorry, I already have an appointment. And you aren't lying. You have an appointment. It's in your schedule. Hey, Debbie, can you come help out this Saturday at the PTA? Oh, I'm sorry, Debbie has an appointment. Hey, Derek, can you come? These are all white names. Can you come help me over, move some, some friends? I'll buy pizza, because that's what we do to tell people we really appreciate their help when they help us move apartments. I'm sorry, Derek already has an appointment. Isn't that nice? And, and, and here, let me, let, me, <laughs> let me debunk a lie that's in your head right now, because I had the same lie in my head. Nobody's gonna ask you what that appointment is, all right? <laughs> and if they do, you probably don't want that friend anyway, all right? <laughs> Think about it. I have an appointment. Well, what kind of an appointment is more important than the PTA class? None of your freaking business. Leave me alone. I have an appointment, all right? It's my life. I'm going to do me. You do you. It's that simple. It might feel dishonoring to them, but it's honoring the Sabbath. I have an appointment. I've been doing that for 14 years. Guess what? Nobody's asked me what my appointment was. Now, some of you probably will if I tell you I have an appointment, but you know what I mean. Just put it in your schedule. But here's the biggest barrier that I think all of us face, and it's a barrier that we have to overcome if we're gonna truly honor the Sabbath. A lie that many of us have bought into. Ready? If I Sabbath, I won't have enough. If I truly take time off, I will not have enough fill in the blank. I won't have enough time to get all the work that I need to get done. I won't have enough money if I don't work the overtime to support the lifestyle that I've created for myself. I got a car I wanna buy, I got a house I wanna buy, I got some debt I need to pay off. If I don't do this, I'm not gonna have enough to pay that off or to take that step. It all falls into the same bucket. I won't have enough. Which is a logical thing to think, right? Like logically, if I work the extra hours, I get the extra money. Logically, if I work the extra hours, I have more time to accomplish what I need to accomplish. It is a logical thing to think. But let me remind you of something today, church. Ready? God is not logical. I know. It's a secret, right? No, you don't serve a logical God. Your God is consistently illogical. He consistently asks you to do things that make absolutely no sense. Welcome to the life of faith. It involves occasionally stepping out onto the water. What? That doesn't make any sense. You serve a God that asks a little kid to give him five loaves and two fishes so that he can feed 15,000 people. 
You serve a God that looks at a widow and says, give me the last of your oil and your flour, and then I will provide everything you need for the years to come. You serve a God that looks at people who are dead and buried in their grave and says, Lazarus, come up out of that grave, blind eyes open, deaf ears open. He's not a logical God. So we cannot assume that this concept of Sabbath is going to fit into our little logic box. It won't. It simply won't. Because listen, here is the illogical truth of Sabbath. A Sabbath rhythm will net supernatural provision. A Sabbath rhythm will net supernatural provision. Back to Israel in the desert for a moment. Slaves get set free. They're out in the desert for a couple of days. They run out of food. They do what all mobs of people do. They begin to complain to their leader and they want to kill him. I can attest. Then they come to Moses and, "Ah, what are we going to do? And Moses is like, I don't know, I don't have enough food. And so he goes to God and he asks God. And God gives them a very unique answer about how they should go about collecting their food. Look at what God says to his people in the book of Exodus, chapter 16. And the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven. I'm going to make it rain. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this. I will test them in this. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're going to gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. So on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. So God says, I'm going to make a deal with you guys. I'm going to make a deal with my people. And here's the deal. If you will honor the Sabbath, if you'll take a rest, if you'll breathe, I'm going to give you seven days provision for six days work. I'm going to give you more than you worked for. I know it's illogical. I know it doesn't make sense. But if you will simply honor me by resting, by taking a deep breath, I'm gonna give you everything you need in fewer hours of work per week. That's a pretty amazing promise when you think about it. Think about that. God promises to you and I that if we will honor this, he will give us more than we work for. It's not based on you, it's based on his truth. But like all of God's promises, guess what that requires? It requires some faith. It's a test, as he said to his people. Hey, if no one's ever presented it like this, let me be the first. Sabbath is a test of your faith. It is a test to see whether or not you truly trust God as your provider. It takes faith to believe that you're gonna be able to accomplish all that you need to accomplish in fewer hours as it's take, than it's taking you currently. It takes faith to trust his word over your work. It takes faith to trust that he's gonna provide even though I haven't worked to get it. That is a step of faith. And because it's a step of faith, many of us never truly enter into that promise. We never enter into the rest that God speaks about in Hebrews chapter four. We never enter into that provision from God. And many of us end up doing what the Israelites did back in the desert. We go out to work and we end up getting nothing in return. Look at what it says in in the same book in Exodus chapter 16. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. 
The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and my instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That's why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day so that there is going to be enough food for two days. He sent them out and said, work for six and rest on the seventh and I'm gonna provide for you, but they went out anyway on the seventh day and they did the work. And what happened? They got nothing for their labor. Here's what they didn't realize and here's what every single one of us need to realize. A rejection of Sabbath is not just a rejection of rest, it's a rejection of supernatural provision. It's putting trust in yourself instead of trusting God. It's trusting that my labor is going to produce more than God's promise for my life. And by doing so, we forfeit this promise of his provision. They went out and they worked, but they got nothing. And sadly, not only did they not get what they came for, they didn't even get to rest. They lost two things by that one poor decision. They went out, put it in their hands, came home empty-handed. Listen, when you try to do this on your own and you don't honor this principle, the same thing happens over and over and over again. We think we're going to get more, but we end up with less. Less peace, less joy, less passion. It's not gonna work. I think it's time that we come to this gift that God has given to us. We trust his word. We say, Jesus, if this is something you're offering to me, I'm gonna step into it. I know it's illogical, I know it doesn't make any sense, but I trust you for your provision and I trust you for supernatural rest and let him do what he's promised to do. Listen, as a guy who did this 14 years ago, let me tell you, if you will implement this in your world, you will never be the same. Your work will never be the same, your home life will never be the same. It is an absolute game changer if we will build this into our rhythms to work, to rest, and then run it back. It's what we were created for. Let me, let me tell you my story. And as I do, the band can come. Here's how it happened for me. 14 years ago, um, I was running a relatively successful business and um, I had middle of the recession and stuff was kind of going crazy in the real estate market, but I'd been contracted out by a number of banks to sell their portfolio of bad assets. And so I was selling a lot of foreclosure properties for banks. Um, at the time, it was roughly 150, 160 houses a year. So it was a lot of work. Um, the banks usually opened at 9 a.m. their time, but most of them were on the East Coast, and so my workday started at 6 a.m. here on the West Coast, and I'd wake up, get out of bed, the first thing I'd do is I'd get on the email. Phone would start ringing, I'd be on email, and I'd be working all day long to, to manage these properties, and I would probably try to stop around 6 p.m., 12-hour workdays every single day. So it was a lot of work in and of itself, but around that same time, my wife and I started to get really involved with our church. And so I joined the worship team, which meant we had rehearsals on Tuesday nights. Uh, we had started serving in youth ministry, which meant we were uh, there on Wednesday nights with a bunch of teenagers. Thursday night, there was a prayer meeting that we were involved in. Friday night, we had a small group that was meeting in our house, and so we were there. Saturday night, we did church. Sunday morning, we did church all, long, all morning long for three services. And the pastor had asked me at that time, to join a group of guys that he was training up for ministry because he saw ministry on my life. And so after church, we'd spend two or three hours and we'd study theology and teaching and communication. And it was a very full life, easily 70, 80, 90 hours of work every single week. But if you had asked me at the time, I would have looked you straight in the eye and I would say, I'm successful. This is what success looks like. To be in all these places, all over the, all over the map, this is what the American dream looks like, to be involved in all this stuff. But I was wiped. I was 
Everything was suffering. My sleep was suffering. My home life was suffering, but I thought it was success. Then one day, a pastor at our church preached on this subject of Sabbath, this, this gift that God had given to us to rest. And, and at first I was apprehensive because I'm like, I, I just don't know how that would work in my world right now. I, I know the feeling, like if I shut off the email, if I shut off the phone, what's gonna happen? What if I lose the accounts? What if I lose the job? What if I don't make the money? And so I was freaking out about the whole thing. But I felt this draw from the Holy Spirit. Just, just test me in this, just trust me. So I did. And we implemented this rhythm into our life. It's a week, the phone would shut off, the email wouldn't get checked. Try to focus on just resting, which was hard at first, because when you've never done it, you don't know how to do it. You're like, I'm just so agitated. I don't know. I don't feel rested. <laughs> We'll talk more about that next week. But I tell you what, as I built this into my life, I can't, I can't explain it, it doesn't compute. Again, it's illogical, it doesn't make sense, but somehow God supernaturally equipped us to accomplish more work in less time. Suddenly, God began to bless us more than I was blessed before. Our resources increased, our time increased, our peace increased, all because I built in this rhythm that he had made available to me. And I'd love to tell you like, you know, it's, it's just, just do it, but, but you, you truly have to do it to experience it. There's no logical explanation for it. But I promise you, as you build this into your life, his promises are true. You'll see supernatural provision and you'll see supernatural rest if you build this in. I've been doing it for 14 years and he's never let me down. So I wanna pray that over you. I wanna pray that over your life. I wanna pray that over your work life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and in just a moment, I'll also pray for those that may need to get some stuff right with Jesus today before we conclude. Lord, I thank you for our community. I thank you for this church. I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would you'd draw us into this, that it wouldn't be a man's words or some concept that's being peddled from a stage, but Holy Spirit, that you would draw us into this rest. You'd show us, Lord, what we need to reorganize in our lives to truly step into the Sabbath that you have available for us. I pray for every person right now who has got that, just that grind work ethic thing going on where they just cannot stop. They're terrified to turn off because they're afraid they might lose the job. Just let peace settle in on them right now over every mind, over every heart. Promotion does not come from the East or the West, it comes from the Lord. God is more than able to provide for all of your needs according to His riches, not your employer's riches, not your own efforts, but His riches. Speak to our hearts today in this area. And as we conclude, I know that this message is not necessarily conducive to a salvation call per se, but I think encompassed in this thought of rest is the very core of what we believe as Christians. That is that we do not work for our salvation, but that we rest and trust in the sufficiency of Jesus. So before we conclude, I would be remiss, we do this every single week, if I did not make an opportunity for those who need to come home to Jesus, maybe even far from God, maybe you've never handed your life over to Him, but this soul rest starts with that. It starts with saying yes to Him. And if you're here today, no one's looking around, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, but you know that things aren't right between you and God and you need to get them right before you leave. I wanna pray a prayer with you, but before I pray that prayer, I just wanna see who I'm praying with. Would you quickly lift your hand up and look at me so I know who I'm praying with today? Thank you, thank you. Wow, yeah, 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 right there. 
Yeah, right up there. Awesome. Come on, many in the room saying yes to Jesus today. All right, I think I got them all. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If you would uh, just repeat this in your heart after me. Same with those watching online. Just repeat this in your heart. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I need rest for my soul. So I choose to follow you. Help me to be your disciple and to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for all those who lifted their hand and prayed that prayer? Here's what I want you to do. Everybody's gonna participate in this. Uh, why don't you take out your phone real quick? Everybody take out your cell phone. The only time you're gonna get permission to do this. Uh, if you just made that decision to follow Jesus, if you're watching online, there's a little button popping up. You can click that. For those in the room, I want you to text TFHSF to 97,000. Type 97,000 in the two, and then in the body of the text, type TFHSF, and you're gonna get a response back from us right away to give us a little bit of information about yourself. If you did not say that prayer, you can text somebody you didn't see at church and make them feel guilty for not being here. But for those who, did, who prayed that prayer, listen, this is so important. Fill that out very briefly. And at the conclusion of this service, I want you to head out to our connect table, introduce yourself to somebody. We'll already have all of your information right there. We wanna give you a Bible and we wanna get you started strong on your faith journey. We don't want you to make the most important decision of your life and just move on like nothing happened. We'll tell you about something called First 40, where during the first 40 days of your journey, you're gonna learn how to pray, how to read that Bible. You're gonna learn about your very next step, which is water baptism. We're so passionate about helping you take your next steps here. Same thing for those watching online, only we'll get a Bible to you in the mail. But either way, we just wanna connect with you and get you started strong on your journey. For the rest of you, why don't you stand to your feet? And uh, if you need prayer for anything, I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come down front right now. We'll be down here. We'd love to pray for you before you go. Otherwise, thank you for coming to church on a Sunday. We love you online. We love you in the building. And we will see you next week. Have a great afternoon. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.